Hello. Welcome to another episode of Hardy Wrestling with me, Stephanie Hardy. Thank you so much for listening. If you've listened to my past few episodes, the last episode was really a good one. I was really excited to put that one out because that was my fifth episode. So now we're on to the sixth episode. And hopefully, you know, this um, podcast can give you something cool to listen to while you're in the comfort of your cozy home trying to avoid all the craziness that life has has been offering us for the past few days so we're going to start and talk about the all the news and gossip involving everything that's going on in wrestling right now um and we're gonna and then we're gonna also have a story time that's special to me um personally and hopefully it'll touch you as well and then we're going to talk about the main event which might be a little bit longer because last sunday was elimination chamber along with the three other shows that we had going on um in wwe so sit back and relax and um prep yourself for hardy wrestling episode six okay So we're going to start with news and gossip-ish. So first on the agenda is the fact that Davey Boy Smith, a.k.a. the British Bulldog, will be inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame in the class of 2020. Um, He will be inducted alongside the Bella Twins, the NWO, Batista, and now JBL. He um, is a legend in wrestling. He was known for defeating his former brother-in-law, fellow Hall of Famer, Bret Hart, for the IC for the Intercontinental Championship at SummerSlam in 1992, and he was also the inaugural European Champion and longest reigning in the company. And he was married into the Hart family um, to Diana Hart, who was one of the daughters of Stu Hart, who was the um, inventor and creator of the Hart family dungeon in Canada. And he had, um, with Diana, out of that marriage, he had two children. And one of them is a wrestler for Major League Wrestling. And his name is Davey Boy Smith in the promotion. He used to wrestle for a time with WWE in a tag team um, alongside Natalia um, and Tyson Kidd. But he left that company and now he's wrestling on the indie scene. But sadly, he won't be here to enjoy um, the fruits of that labor and being inducted into the Hall of Fame because he passed away at the age of 39 due to a heart attack. So I'm assuming someone in the family will be able to um, induct him in. And I feel like that's a wonderful honor um, that's being bestowed upon a heart, a heart family um, wrestler. So congratulations to Davey Boy Smith and congratulations to the Hart family on their continued success. Um, and yeah, that's fantastic. Now, this is going to be a serious, this um, news segment is going to be a little bit serious based off of what's been going on in the world. So with this story, it kind of ties in with everything that's been going on with the um, coronavirus. And I just want to say that I want to send thoughts and prayers and all kinds of good vibes to anyone who has been affected by it, who's um, already possibly lost family members or to any person who's infected by it, who's, you know, hoping for healing to take place in their lives from it. And for those who are afraid that they might get it, you know, be responsible with that. So um, with this virus being worldwide, there's levels to it that definitely does affect everyone involving everyone in wrestling. So I'm going to talk about um, how the 
this is how the news is going to affect that so wrestlemania will possibly um be canceled by the tampa city commission in hills in hillsborough county now the commissioner les miller stated in a statement that he hopes the wwe makes the call themselves um by this week but if they don't then they might have to pull the plug on it now it's a huge deal considering this is an event that has um been a mainstay for over 30 years and nothing like this has ever happened before but the biggest issue here is the fact that since wrestlemania is not your average everyday pay-per-view it's a worldwide event that brings in people from all over the planet to this one place it will pose a <clears throat> a danger to all these people who will come because you just never know who's infected you don't know who might be sick or whatever and it might cause you know a significant amount of trouble in that so we still don't know if it's going to be canceled we don't know if it's going to be postponed till maybe later in the year like during the summer which might push some pay-per-views back or something I don't know and we also there's just so much going on they're still building up storylines headed to Wrestlemania because it's it's getting closer and closer to April but we'll just have to wait and see I personally would love it if they didn't cancel it and just had you know wrestlemania with no audience <laughs> even though i know that's a huge money maker um for the company as a whole but if they had it with no audience or even if they just moved it to like a place maybe even moved to the performance center which sounds kind of you know a stretch considering the performance center is like small and wrestlemania is like this big huge event with all these you know different clothes and different outfits and entrances and stuff like that but I'm pretty sure, you know, they'll find a way to make it work somehow. So um, there's that part. And then also in the news, we have um, the fact that there are other WWE shows and AEW shows that will be held without fans. SmackDown this past Friday was supposed to be in Detroit, but given the recent events involving the coronavirus, it got moved to the Performance Center in Orlando, Florida, and the same thing is set to happen to Raw this week because I believe it was supposed to be in Pittsburgh or something, and it got moved to the Performance Center, and NXT will also be in the Performance Center as well as opposed to being at Full Sail University like it always is on Wednesdays. Um, I can say that watching SmackDown this past Friday was a bit of an adjustment, but it wasn't, you know, it didn't take away from the show to me at all. In fact, I actually enjoyed the fact that there wasn't an audience there because you were able to actually focus on what was going on with the wrestlers and the stories that they were, you know, pushing forward and everything. And you were able to kind of clearly hear the ring psychology behind everything they were saying, you know, with the yelling at each other and talking smack at each other. And even um, with Michael Cole and Triple H, you know, doing commentary because some of the talent couldn't make it there due to travel issues, they still did the best they could with what they had and it was beautiful. And I actually look forward to um, Raw and NXT this week, you know, without an audience because sometimes, as much as I love the audience as, you know, an audience member, um, it gets kind of frustrating sometimes when you have wrestling fans who kind of scream through promos or scream through matches or when there's a match that they feel like is boring or something they'll keep chanting random things that have nothing to do with the match itself or they'll say what throughout an entire segment because they may not be understanding anything a person might be saying or they just feel like it's boring or whatever so it's kind of nice for a change and I have the audience out there
So, um, we'll just continue to enjoy those shows. And I will say, just go into it with an open mind and continue to watch it even though there is no audience there. Because the performers are still very much giving their all. And I'll talk more about that later. Um, And also in the news, we have former tight end for the New England Patriots, Rob Gronkowski, who might be moving to the WWE. Um, He's nearing a deal with them and apparently is close to becoming a, you know, a done deal. And it was confirmed this past Friday um, on SmackDown that um he will be on an ep- he will be on this episode of smackdown this friday and it was confirmed by his real life friend mojo raleigh who's also a wwe talent and you know they played football together and everything so that is huge news going into um that going into wrestlemania season and um the gronk has actually been on wwe before he was on there during WrestleMania 33 in 2017, and he was assisting his friend Mojo in winning the Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Royal, and he basically went in the ring and tackled Jinder Mahal, and um, and which basically helped Mojo eliminate him so he could win the Battle Royal. So I think that'll be exciting um, to see. You know, it's always cool to see wrestlers, you know, or just you know people from different aspects of athletic of of the athletic world come in to um become wrestlers and you know make and make stars of themselves so that's going to be cool and that's all for your news and gossip ish and we're going to move on to the next segment um wwe wrestling fan story time and we're going to be discussing women changing the face of beauty in wrestling so stay put So in this wrestling fan story time, I'm going to talk about something that touched me this week that I um, saw Um, on WWE's YouTube page. There was a video shared with an interview from um, Carmella, who started this campaign with this photo shoot that she did. Um, Charlotte Flair, Sasha Banks, Bianca Belair, Io Shirai, Rhea Ripley, Ruby Riot, and Dana Brooke. And they got together for this photo shoot. And in this photo shoot, they were taking pictures of themselves without makeup and stripped down, you know, without all the, you know, glam and everything that they put on every week. And they did an interview where they were all just sitting and talking about their struggles with accepting their bodies and accepting their faces as they are. And they even made posts on Instagram if they didn't participate in the interview. And talking about their struggles with accepting themselves and I really feel like that was profound seeing as we now live in a world that wants that wants people to become more accepting of everyone's differences and not necessarily tear them down because of them and I love that it's taking place in wrestling right now now I will say my journey in watching wrestling is the fact that A lot of the time before this women's evolution started taking place, with the exception of a few women like Molly Holly or Jacqueline or Jazz or whatever, a lot of the women that they had in wrestling during my lifetime sort of looked the same. They looked like, you know, Sable. They looked like Tori Wilson. They looked like Trish Stratus. You know, they were always, you know, and Stacey Keebler. He's like, they all looked like 
the beautiful blonde bombshell. And then if they weren't the beautiful blonde bombshell, they had these bombshells who were like, you know, brunettes like your Candace Michelle's or redheads like Christy Hemi or, you know, Lita. But then again, Lita was different too in her own way because she was tattooed and, you know, she would walk around kind of like a punk rock chick, which was which was very different. And a lot of the time, of course, during the 2000s, you had the Divas era where you had women like Kelly Kelly, more of the model type, and Michelle McCool, you know, who were more so of the model type more than anything. And they all sort of didn't necessarily look like the like women that you see on a regular basis. These were women who you could, you know, easily slap on the cover of a magazine and they could pass themselves off as a model and you wouldn't believe that they would even be wrestlers. And of course, those women are beautiful the way that they are, you know, the way that they're, you know, were created. But at the same time, that only caters to a specific audience that only relegates women to just being lookers. And I felt like that was sort of a disservice to the women, to a lot of women who might watch wrestling who don't look like that. Because I know for sure, you know, growing up as a child, you know, I used to love to watch the girls because they were girls, you know, and I was never watching it, you know, for, oh, my God, they're so hot, you know, like some men were doing or or anything like that. But now that I'm older, it's just looking at, you know, the women that they had and what they were making the women do, because it's not the women's fault at all. It's basically the establishment's fault and how they used to make the women sort of they never took them as seriously. So it's just now. I'm happy we're at a point where we can have the discussion of of self-empowerment and women loving who, you know, who they are and how they were created. And I can say that it's more diverse than it's ever been because you have women like Rhea Ripley who look like they're about six feet tall, you know, and, you know, she has her hair cut short with the buzz cut and everything with piercings, you know, in her face and everything. And she looks like a rock goddess. And then you have women like Bianca Belair who who talked about her struggles with accepting her body, you know, as muscular and athletic as she naturally is. And then also on top of that, she's a black woman. So it's just there's a lot of there's a lot of acceptance issues that she might that she discussed that she had in accepting, you know, herself in that manner. And then you also have women like Sasha Banks who have, you know, who mentioned on Instagram with her picture that she had uneven skin and it took a lot for her, you know, to take off her all of her makeup in the shoot and everything. And then you also had women like Charlotte Flair, who um is like five foot seven and she has had struggles with her look simply because of the fact that everybody and I've seen this before on the internet there have been people who call Charlotte Flair a man and they think oh she looks like a man or oh you know because she has a lot of the features that her father has and they say oh she looks like a man or oh she's too muscular and oh she doesn't and they talk about how flat her butt is and it's just so disheartening to see stuff like that because these are women who put their bodies on the line every single week to entertain us and to make us feel good about ourselves but yet we tear them down on the internet because we don't have the courage to say these things to their faces and it's just so terrible the things that we do to each other and we say to each other um and especially to these women who do nothing to entertain us because just because they're on television doesn't mean that they don't have issues accepting themselves and it doesn't mean that they don't have you know struggles that they face you know yeah they're on tv and yeah they're making a ton of money but that doesn't take away 
any of the things that they're feeling inside. They're still human beings who have struggles just like we do. And I commend them all for doing this photo shoot and showing themselves, you know, as imperfect humans, you know, who aren't glammed up all the time, who aren't, you know, living their lives for the sake of, you know, being accepted by all these people who are just like, you know, oh, they need to look this way in order for me to, you know, watch them or in order for me to consider them attractive. You know, it's not fair to hold them under a microscope like like that. So they're changing the face of beauty in wrestling. They're showing that you don't have to have this certain type of hair or this certain type of nose or this certain type of shape in order to be successful in the wrestling business. Or, you know, your arms have to be, you know, unmuscular or not muscular enough or overly muscular in order to succeed. Um, You know, so I was really happy to see that. And it touched me because I'm a person in my own life who walks around with no makeup on. (laughs) And I mean, none at all. And there are times where sometimes I see women, you know, who I deal with in my daily life who do wear makeup and who don't wear makeup and sometimes I wonder to myself well maybe should I you know start buying makeup should I start you know wearing you know more lipstick or whatever but then when I look at myself and I just put on lip balm I have to tell myself that that's just enough that that is enough and even if I do decide to wear makeup at a certain point that that's enough too because that's my choice and it's my body and I can do whatever I want to with it and I'm beautiful regardless of whatever it is that I put on and I'm really grateful that these women in WWE and and also in other promotions are you know leading the charge and showing that women you know, who are fans, who aren't fans, you know, women, period, can be beautiful in their own skin and be who they are and be as brilliant as they can be and also be as vulnerable as they can be as well. And that's the end of that wrestling fan story time segment. Alright, so now we've made it to the main event segment of this podcast, where I talk about everything that happened this week in wrestling, and it's going to be pretty interesting, <laughs> you know, so we're just going to start with what happened on Sunday with Eliminate, this past Sunday, with the Elimination Chamber pay-per-view. There was a pre-show um, before it, and they had a match between the Viking Raiders and Kurt Hawkins and Zack Ryder. And the Viking Raiders won that match in short order, so we won't necessarily go through that one. Um, And I won't necessarily go through all of which that happened in all of the matches itself, but I will tell you about the parts that I really enjoyed. So we're going to go into that. Now, in the main show, you had a stellar match between Daniel Bryan and Drew Gulak from 205 Live. You had a cruiserweight, um, a former cruiserweight champion versus... Um, a main roster dude in the form of Daniel Bryan and since Daniel Bryan has taken more of a more of a role um, backstage from what I've heard he wanted to fight the best of the best and want to be able to sort of make us make a star in terms of who he wanted to wrestle and so he wanted to wrestle Drew Gulak Drew Gulak of course over the past couple of weeks was saying that he knows all the holes in um, Daniel Bryan's armor so Daniel Bryan challenged him And this match took place, and I think that Daniel Bryan was surprised just as much as we were. Um, (laughs) So, basically, 
It was almost like Daniel Bryan was fighting his technical wrestling twin. It was so good. It's like you had a whole lot of crab locks reversed. You had, of course, a whole lot of kicking each other, but there was just so much submissions. There were so many submissions going on. There was a point where Daniel Bryan had a submission lock, a submission rack onto Drew Gulak, but somehow Drew Gulak knew how to reverse it and put him in the same rack, in the same submission rack. And it was just like, you know, it was amazing. And then there was even a scary point where Drew Gulak was even working on his neck, on Daniel Bryan's neck, which, you know, was injured. And he, and he couldn't wrestle for like a couple of years because of that injury. But of course, he's back now. But there was a scary point where he landed on his neck somehow due to a suplex that Drew Gulak did on him. And it was really scary. But then, of course, there was a point where, um, where Daniel Bryan did, of course, you know, bounce back. And he was looking, and then he was just looking shocked at him because he was just like, bro, like, where did all this talent even come from? (laughs) There were lots of amazing German suplexes going on. And of course, Daniel Bryan wound up winning the match. And I believe he wound up submitting um, Drew Gulak with his yes lock. But he was looking like he had a ton of respect for Drew Gulak in that um, regard. I want them to wrestle again. (laughs) <laughs> just be just so I can sit and watch that technical masterpiece while I was watching I just couldn't help but think about the first technical match I ever saw which was between um it was a masterpiece between Rey Mysterio and Eddie Guerrero um at Wrestlemania 21 and they were tag team champions at the time but they were wrestling each other and it wasn't like it wasn't anything negative they were just fighting each other for the sake of doing it and it was one of the coolest matches I had ever seen in my life and that's just what it was that and that's exactly what it reminded me of sitting there watching Daniel Bryan and Drew Gulak go like that so hey it was beautiful and I definitely recommend it and I also found out from the commentary team that Elimination Chamber has been a stipulation for 10 years now. So, hey, we're getting old. Um, <laughs> so there's that. And Andrade and Humberto Carrillo fought for the U.S. Championship. And, of course, that match was good. And I don't want to go off into that one too much because of the fact that they fought each other so many times. <laughs> And as much as I hate repeats, you know, I really don't get tired of watching these guys fight. Um, but basically, Andrade won due to a whole, there was a whole bunch of near falls, but then Andrade, Andrade won because he grabbed Humberto's tights and cheated. But he retained, so I guess that's a good thing. <laughs> so I don't know how long they're going to keep fighting each other, but I mean, that was a pretty good match and I recommend watching it, but I won't go off into that too much because of the fact that it was a lot of the repeat stuff that they had done to each other over the past couple months so it was good but yeah it was more of the same thing now a couple of highlights I'm going to talk about um comes from this match which was the first elimination chamber match of the night for the Smackdown tag team titles um so just to go through the stipulation of the elimination chamber match for those who don't know um, it began, basically the match began with two teams or two opponents and a new team is released in five minute interval intervals from their um, pods. And when a tag team partner is pinned, that means the, the entire team basically gets eliminated and whoever is left standing between the two teams who are left um, will be the champions. And something that I did notice that I thought was really cool was the fact that the, I don't know if the pods were mic'd or whatever, but there was a point where they were, you know where all of the 
people in the pods like you could hear them talking smack at whoever was in the ring and I thought that was really cool um so the new day came out with you know with their entrance and they had the coolest outfits um they had their outfits made that were basically like made as get well soon cards for Xavier Woods who's still out but they but those outfits that they had were created in coloring book format so I don't know if you remember from your childhood where you would have these coloring books that would have you know instructions instructions on how you're supposed to color certain things and you know they'd have number one is supposed to be red or whatever label whatever part of the picture is labeled number two is supposed to be green or you know purple for three or something like that and that's how their outfits were made it had the color key on their outfits and the rest of their outfits were basically just white and it was really cool um the usos came out and they were looking very um thuggish bayish um (laughs) that night and the match started with those two um fighting each other and basically reigniting their iconic rivalry I will venture to say that the New Day versus the Usos is one of the most amazing tag team rivalries of the 21st century. Um, so it started with a bunch of punching and leaps and belly to belly suplexes and everything. And there was a point where they had a standoff because they were on each other and it was really cool. And then the Lucha House Party was able to be released after five minutes. And um, they started off hot with a double kick to the New Day. And they also did double high-flying um, moves, but then they, one of them was launched by Big E. Um, it was Lince Dorado and um, it was Lince Dorado and Grand Metalik. They were doing lots of moves on top of ropes and everything. And there was even a point where Lince, like, they were just doing all kinds of amazing hurricanranas on everybody. Once the Miz and Morrison, once the Miz and John Morrison came out. Um, they got kicked a lot by the Lucha House Party, and Miz Morrison kept beating up on Kofi, taking advantage of that. And then, of course, within another five minutes, you had Heavy Machinery come out to roaring applause. Um, Otis is just, like, the most over person right now. It's really amazing. They were slamming and throwing people, and then they were squashing the Usos into the chain walls. There was even this amazing, amazing, amazing spot where Lince Dorado did a shooting star press from the top of the cage. Like he climbed up like while all of the while all the wrestlers were fighting each other in the ring, Lince was climbing and nobody knew exactly where he was going because, of course, when you're watching on the screen, you can't see everything. But I'm pretty sure the fans can see. But he climbed all the way to the top of the cage. It hit a shooting star press on everyone (laughs) except heavy machinery because they saw it and moved out of the way and it was so cool and it just it just sort of astounds me that that lucha house party they're just they're on the main roster but they aren't doing anything and that disappoints me because they were able to show off so much of their offense here and they shouldn't be slept on at all like let's just stop sleeping on the lucha house party but then after that point you know heavy machinery actually eliminated them from the um eliminated lince dorado um and eliminated lucha house party from the match which disappointed me because i'm just like how y'all gonna do that amazing spot and they get eliminated dang it but anyway um after they got eliminated you had dolph ziggler and bobby Roode enter and yes i'm still calling him bobby i don't care what nobody say and (laughs) And Dolph Ziggler kept mushing Otis against the chain walls because, you know, they still have that beef going on between because of the whole Mandy Rose situation. 
Then there was a point where Dolph Ziggler climbed um, onto a pod, but then Tucker um, climbed up on that pod as well and then threw him into Otis. And then Tucker did a a somersault off the top, off the pod into the other opponents, which was cool because, you know, a big man isn't supposed to move like that, but he does. And it's awesome. And um, Ziggler and Bobby basically kept bullying Otis, but he kept fighting back. And it was a lot going on. But then there was also a really scary point where Otis tried to spear Dolph Ziggler into a pod, but then Ziggler moved out of the way. So Otis speared himself out of the ring and he couldn't, you know, get up in time to fight back, I guess. But then um, Tucker kept fighting back, but Bobby and but Bobby and Dolph Ziggler were just too much for him. And they eliminated heavy machinery and everybody was chanting the word a-hole at them because, of course, you know, they're the biggest heels right now. But then, of course, as Dolph Ziggler and Bobby Roode were bragging about it, like, yeah, we eliminated heavy machinery. You'll never be good at us, blah, blah, blah. Um, they got eliminated because the Usos hit a double splash, a double splash on them. Um, so the audience was really happy about that. So really, the only people who were left were the New Day, the Usos and Miz and Morrison. But then the New Day got eliminated due to Kofi missing a crossbody um, jump and Miz and Morrison did a double cover on them so the New Day got eliminated darn so it was only the Usos and Eminem left so Miz and Morrison used the ropes as le- um you know in a legal sense because there's no disqualification so as the Usos kept fighting back and kept hitting them with, with super kicks and everything you know they just the Miz and Morrison they're just so sneaky so they used it the, when there was a point where they actually hit their moves on them they covered them and actually used the ropes as um leverage and retain their smackdown tag team championships so all in all it was a fantastic match but it was just like they cheated but whatever um then you had a match between aj styles and alistair black and it was no dq and aj styles of course brought his boys out there the oc and it just wasn't necessarily fair, but the match was pretty good. But I will say this, though. Watching AJ and the OC cheat, you know, was annoying as all get out. But the payoff was fantastic Was fantastic because all you heard was dong. <laughs> and the Undertaker came out and he had the OC in like he was choking both of them with both of his hands and then AJ Styles was like what and then when the Undertaker turned around AJ was getting ready to hit him with the phenomenal forearm and the Undertaker caught him midair and basically it was just like you know it was amazing. He caught him midair and he choke slammed him. And then the lights went off again. And then The Undertaker disappeared along with the OC. And Aleister Black was able to hit the black mass on AJ Styles for the win. So I believe that might be over. That feud might be over. Because now AJ Styles is going to focus all his attention on The Undertaker for WrestleMania. So that was very interesting. We're going to talk about that a whole lot more. But that match between Aleister Black and AJ Styles was really good. But I just wanted to talk about that component. Um... So I definitely recommend that you watch that. Um, The Street Profits and Seth Rollins and Murphy were fighting for the Raw Tag Team Championship. And 
Dawkins, you know, in the early going showed off his agility. And Montez, of course, was showing off his amazing stuff as well. And we want the smoke chants were reverberating throughout the entire arena. And basically... There was a lot of body rolls going on from Montez. He's kind of like a very charismatic Kappa. <laughs> but I'm not sure if he is one. But he, but the way he dances is just so awesome. And... There was a point where the Authors of Pain kept getting involved in the match. But then the Viking Raiders came out to even the odds. And there were a bunch of... And there were like two near falls between Rollins and Montez. And Buddy Murphy had Montez Ford on in a headlock, but then Murphy kept was also hit double knees on him to a near fall. But then there was also another point where Montez Ford hit one of his patented frog splashes, and he can and he has basically the best one of the best frog splashes I've ever seen because the airtime he gets from it is just fantastic. And there was another point where Dawkins hit a suplex on Rollins after catching him in midair. <laughs> and I believe this was outside of the ring. But then there was also a point where Kevin Owens, you know, made his way through the audience while eating popcorn. And he was walking fast, you know, to get to to get in Seth's head. And since Seth got distracted by Kevin Owens, Dawkins, Angelo Dawkins tackled Seth and then they did a, a move called the cash out on Buddy Murphy and they were able to retain their tag titles. But then Seth also got um got a stunner by Kevin Owens and then Kevin Owens poured popcorn on Buddy Murphy on his way out of that match. So I'm ready for Seth and Kevin Owens to scrap at WrestleMania if it happens. And then you had the dumpster fire. <laughs> That was Braun Strowman versus Shinsuke Nakamura versus and Cesaro and Sami Zayn in a three-on-one handicap match for the IC title. And whoever basically got the pin was supposed to win the title. So basically, if Sami, Shinsuke, or Cesaro got the pin, they would hold the title. So um Shinsuke Nakamura got clotheslined into the early going early goings of the match and he got thrown into the corners of the ring Shinsuke also um kept was also kicking and he was hitting knees on Braun Strowman and Cesaro and Sammy kept kicking and uppercutting him because they were tagging in of course um it was a lot of tag continuity going on there was a point where Shinsuke had Braun Strowman a um headlock but but Braun Strowman was able to hit suplexes on him and it was just and he was knocking people down of course with that little truck run he does around the ring and then there was a point where they took advantage of they took advantage and actually hit Braun Strowman into the steps and there was a Kinshasa there was even a point where Shinsuke even hit the Kinshasa, Kinshasa into the ring post on Braun Strowman. So Braun Strowman's head was kind of going through some dizziness there. And Sami Zayn took advantage of all of all of those beatings. And he basically won after after he kept running away from him. Like over the past couple of weeks, Sami kept running away from Braun Strowman. But he took advantage of all that hard work that Cesaro and Nakamura did and covered him and won the IC title now as much as I don't like their dastardly deeds 
I was happy with the fact that Sami Zayn won his title because that was the first main, the his first main roster title win, and he's been on the main roster for almost four years now. So that was a huge deal, and that was great and everything. And I kind of hate that it took so long for him to finally win a main roster title because literally the only title he's won in WWE is the NXT Championship, and he only had that for a short while before he got injured and had to give it up. But um, congrats to Sammy, even though he totally won it in a nefarious way. (laughs) But whatever. Um, And then we had the Elimination Chamber match between the women for the number one contendership for the Raw Women's Championship match at WrestleMania between Shayna Baszler, Asuka, Natalya, Liv Morgan, Ruby Riot, and Sarah Logan. And this was Asuka's first Elimination Chamber match. And he, and basically she was out there even though she had a tweaked wrist, which speaks to her resilience. And since this past Sunday was International Women's Day, the women were the main event, and I thought that was cool. So Natalia and Ruby started the match, and they were talking trash to each other. And then there was a point where Natty hit a snap suplex on the Ruby Riot. Then Ruby Riot slammed Natty into into Liv's pod, and um, Natty kept talking trash at Liv Morgan out of nowhere. And um, Becky was watching from backstage. And something that irritated me during the match was the fact that there were a lot of CM Punk chants out of nowhere for whatever reason. Which also speaks to what I was talking about earlier with the fans kind of being just mean sometimes during matches. And then, of course, in that five-minute interval, you had Sarah Logan, who was released, and she started ramming Natalia into into a pod. Then Ruby Riot was on top of Liv's pod, and then Sarah was on top of um, the pod as well. But then Ruby Riot got powerbombed onto the floor by Natty. And then Sarah jumped from the pod onto Ruby Riot and Natty, and Natty hit a double suplex. Then Shayna Baszler was released, and basically you could end the match right. I could end this segment right here, um, but I'm not. So Shayna Baszler got released, and then she eliminated Sarah and Ruby Riot with her Kirafuda clutch. And they basically tapped out in quick fashion. Then Shayna Baszler threw Natty into a pod. And um, was using the door of the pod to to basically hurt her and injure her. And then Natty just tapped out to the Kirafuda clutch as well. Then Liv Morgan got released and she fought back against um, Shayna Baszler. But then Shayna Baszler slammed Liv into the chain wall and into a pod. And then kicked Liv, you know, multiple times. And then Liv was choked out, but she didn't tap out. So she basically passed out from the Kirafuda clutch. So she didn't, you know, tap out at all. And then Asuka was the only person left. Now, there was a lot of NXT chants in here because, you know, they had never really fought each other. So you had, you know, Asuka, you know, and Shayna Baszler going up against each other. And you had Asuka with a hip attack and she kept kicking Shayna Baszler down. She actually got the most offense in out of any other opponent. But then... Shayna Baszler kept hitting her close range kicks. But then Asuka, there was a point where Asuka put her in the Asuka lock. And that and it looked kind of hopeful for a second. But then Shayna Baszler rolled out of the ring, slammed Asuka into chains, and then attacked Asuka's wrist with the joint manipulation that she likes to do. And then she kept kneeing Asuka and then she put her in the Kirafuda clutch and then Asuka passed out and Shayna Baszler won the match. So now she is going to be facing Becky Lynch at WrestleMania for the Raw Women's Championship. Now, um, here again, we don't know if this match is really going to happen because of all the events that's going on in the world. But we shall see. 
so that ends the elimination chamber segment so now i'm going to go into the main event segment where i'm going to talk about all of the shows Right, so what we're gonna do, we're gonna talk about all the events that happened on Monday Night Raw, and we're gonna start with the Raw women. So Becky Lynch started the show, and um, she was glad that she finally knows who she's facing in the form of Shayna Baszler. And then there was a point where um, I believe backstage at Elimination Chamber, um, Shayna Baszler called her a B word and basically said she was going to destroy her at WrestleMania. And Becky was saying, well, wow, you called me the B word. So, okay, so I'm the B word that's going to beat you. So there was that. Then you had Charlotte Flair come out and do a promo where she was calling um, Rhea Ripley the next big thing and the shiny new toy. And she was telling Rhea Ripley to enjoy all of that hype because it won't, because the hype surrounding you will not last. Then Rhea came out to everyone's surprise and she has new pyro with her stomp that she likes to do in her entrance and then Rhea started talking but then Charlotte interrupted her and said we just heard you talk in your segment that they had played you know when she was at the Raymond James Stadium and she was saying this is my kingdom and you can't come on here on Raw and you know act like you own everything but then Rhea Ripley slapped her and then put down the mic and left the ring so there was that and then you had the um, Kabuki Warriors fight in their match versus Natalia and Liv Morgan. And there were all kinds of ignorant what chants going on to everything that Asuka was saying, even though she was speaking Japanese and English. And Jerry the King Lawler was talking about how his ears were bleeding. And, you know, which adds to another laundry list of all the racist things he's ever said about, you know, Asian women on that show. And... Um, there was a point where Liv Morgan and Kyrie Sane were locking up, and then there was a double kick from Liv, whose offense is getting way better, you know, now she's returned. And you had Ruby Riot come out with marks above her eyes from the night before. And um the Kabuki Warriors took advantage of that distraction, and Liv kept getting chants and everything, which was good. And Natalia um was gave Asuka a power slam and then Sarah Logan came out and Ruby Riot and Sarah Logan started fighting then Liv Morgan jumped from the top rope and I guess she just forgot about her match she jumped from the top rope onto Sarah and Ruby and then Natalia didn't have a partner so Asuka um kicked Natalia while um she had Kyrie while Natalia had Kyrie Sane locked in the sharpshooter and the Kabuki Warriors won the match and that's pretty much all that went on with the women. So now we're going to go to the Raw um, men. Rey Mysterio and Angel Garza had the first match of the night. Um, and Angel was out there with Zelina Vega. And that was a great athletic match. And I won't go too much into that one simply because of the fact that they have, that they have fought, you know, so many times before. And um, Rey Mysterio won the match. And then, of course, Zelina Vega was mad. But, you know, because at first... Angel had been on a tear and was winning a whole lot of matches, you know, so there was that part. And Bobby Lashley had a match and he wasn't out there with Lana because Lana's been filming a movie and he was fighting against Zack Ryder with Kurt Hawkins in his corner. And then there were chants of We Want Lana and it was basically a power match until, of course, Zack was squashed by Bobby Lashley. So it's really not that much you can say about that one. Then you had Aleister Black get get ready to do a promo um, back in his little room. And he was trying to speak, but then someone knocked on his door. So we thought, oh, maybe it's another opponent, opponent, which it turned out it was. But basically it was Seth and Buddy Murphy. 
you know, and, and Seth was saying, since I'm a numbers game expert, if you ever want to use me and my services, you know, and join me, you know, I could, you know, f- help you fight against the OC. But Alistair Black wasn't having it. He was saying, no, I don't want to do it. And he kept refusing. But then Seth kept pushing. And since Seth kept pushing, Alistair Black was like, OK, well, those sound like fighting words. So, you know, meet me in the ring. So they had a match scheduled for later that night. Then you had Eric Rowan versus Drew McIntyre. Um, there were a lot of punches in the early going, but then um, Drew McIntyre ran Eric Rowan into the into the ring post and the bar- and the barricade, and then Drew McIntyre looked at Eric Rowan's cage with the tarantula in it, and um, he picked it up and put it on the floor, and he picked up the steel steps from the side of the ring and smashed it. So I guess now that tarantula is dead, and he hit the DDT and the Claymore on. Eric Rowan and Drew McIntyre continues to go on his, you know, run of wins before his match with Brock Lesnar. Um, that's tentatively um, scheduled for WrestleMania for the championship. And then you had um, AJ Styles cut his promo with the OC, and he was angry at the Undertaker for interfering in his match with Aleister Black the night before at Elimination Chamber, and he basically blamed the Undertaker for taking moments away from him. And AJ said that The Undertaker basically ruined his retirement match where, well, it wasn't a retirement match, but it was kind of put, like, put on as a retirement match against um, Roman Reigns where he folded up his coat and and put his hat in the middle of the ring and left. But, of course, he didn't really retire. And AJ stated that he didn't see him see the undertaker as a mythical monster anymore and he only sees him as a broken down man named mark galloway that is the undertaker's real name and he said the only reason why the undertaker keeps coming back is because michelle mccool which is the undertaker's wife in real life you know keeps him coming back so she can get whatever she wants basically calling her a gold digger even though you know she was a wrestler too and probably has her own money but we're not gonna get into that um And he gave The Undertaker advice and said, your wife is going to run you in the ground and I'm going to help her. And he said, you'll die in the ring with me and I'll take his soul at WrestleMania, which was a very dark thing to say. But hey, this is where we're going. Then Riddick Moss and Cedric Alexander had a match um, for the 24-7 championship. And there was a point where Cedric had taken advantage, but then, you know, with a lot of offense going in. But then Riddick Moss tossed Alexander out of the ring and hit a neck breaker onto Cedric and then Riddick Moss won the match. And which which begged me to wonder what in the world is going on with Cedric Alexander's booking and also Ricochet's booking because Ricochet lost to Riddick Moss two weeks ago for the same title. And I'm trying to figure out what is it that these men have done to get trashed on on television so hard. Like, they're some of the most talented cruiserweights or heavyweight, maybe, in Ricochet's case, you know, that you have. And you're just trashing them and having them, you know, lose all these, lose to all these people whom we don't even care about fully, who don't even have developed characters. These two at least have a halfway developed character that we actually care about. But yet they keep getting trashed on and it frustrates me because they're so talented. And all I can think about is when Cedric first came into the WWE scene during the Cruiserweight Classic, you know, everybody was saying, please sign him or whatever. And now we've gone from please sign Cedric to him losing to the nothing matches on Raw. Like, the least you could do is put him back on 205 Live or put him in NXT, you know, for God's sake, where he can be used. Like, because this is sad. Um, And then MVP came out and he was insulting Washington, D.C. And he spoke about how he was 
transitioning from a competitor to a wannabe manager brainiac person and he claimed that he wanted to build a stable around edge but then of course edge drove up backstage and he was storming out of a car and he snatched the mic snatched the microphone from mvp and tells randy orton to grow a set of balls and get his a word out here now but then MVP decided to make the huge mistake of asking Edge, how's your wife? And then Edge speared him and then Randy Orton decided to sneak out like the snake he is, Viper, hello, and try to RKO him. But then Edge reversed, reversed the RKO onto Randy. Then Randy ran away. And then MVP got a, got a concerto or a chairhead sandwich from Edge two times. And then Randy and Edge just stared at each other. And then Edge, you know, was running after Randy. But then he found out later on from Charlie Caruso that Randy had left the arena. So that was the last we saw of Edge. And then they announced that AJ Styles and Undertaker are going to have a contract signing um, tomorrow on Raw. I don't know if that's going to be still scheduled seeing as they've moved Raw to the Performance Center again, given all the events that's been happening. But we'll see. And then they announced that Triple H had won the life, the Arnold Classic Lifetime Achievement Award. And he was saying in his speech that he seeks to inspire and help people reach their fullest potential, which he has been doing over the past couple of years as the leader of NXT and all of that and turning it into a third brand, not even a developmental brand anymore. So congratulations to him with that. And then Paul Heyman had a promo where he was talking about Brock Lesnar's list of victims and how he's going to add Drew McIntyre to said list on WrestleMania. But then Drew McIntyre responded with an emphatic defense of himself, saying that he isn't a fluke and his victory at the Royal Rumble wasn't a fluke. And he said that he's going to claim more Brock Lesnar to become the new reigning defending undisputed world champ at WrestleMania. So there was that. And then we had um, the match between Seth Rollins and... um, Alistair Black and it started with a lockup and it was their first time ever fighting each other and then there was a knee sweep um onto Seth Rollins and then Alistair Black was taking advantage of the match but then Buddy Murphy um interfered in the match and got Seth Rollins DQ'd and then Viking Raiders came out to help um, Aleister Black. And then the Street Profits also came out, which which basically turned the match into an eight-man tag team match. So Seth and Co. was out there fighting with um, the Viking Raiders and the Street Profits. And that, and seeing as we've seen you know them fight and lock up about a thousand times over the past couple of weeks, I won't repeat anything that happened. It was basically the same type of match you could come to expect from them. It wasn't bad. But I just won't repeat any of the stuff that I've said before about them. But I just know that but just know that Seth Rollins and company actually won the match, which sucked. And um the feud between him and Kevin Owens is gonna still go on. So that's all that happened on Raw. So now in the next segment I'm gonna talk about NXT and SmackDown. So now we're going to talk about NXT, NXT, NXT. Now we're going to talk about NXT, NXT. All right. So <laughs> um, it was fan appreciation night at the um, at the performance center. So Beth Phoenix. So we're going to talk about the women first with Beth Phoenix. Um, she came back to the commentary table with Mara and Nigel and they welcomed her back. Um 
So with the women, we our first match with the women, we had Mia Yim versus Dakota Kai with Raquel Gonzalez in the qualifier for the number one contender ladders match for TakeOver Tampa, tentatively. So there was a, it was a physical punch happy match in the beginning, but then somehow or another, Gonzalez um, interfered by slamming Mia into the apron and then... Mia Yim hit a jumping net breaker and rolling cannonball with a near fall. And Dakota Kai was putting up a lot of offense with a lot of her kicks and everything. But it was almost like she was just depending on, well, not mostly, but some of the times it just felt like she was depending on Gonzalez to always, you know, fight her battles and everything. But Mia won the match, but then she was attacked by Gonzalez after she tried to distract the referee. And then they basically both just beat up on her until they decided to leave. But basically, Mia wasn't beat up so bad to the point where she couldn't, you know, participate in the matches coming up. So Mia now qualifies for the ladder match. And now I believe the people who are in the ladder match now so far is Chelsea Green, um, Mia, and Tegan Knox. All three of them are in the ladder match now. So along with that, you also had Rhea Ripley coming out to the ring to cut a promo. She said if Charlotte thinks she's going to psych her out, she can, you know, um, go do something else. And she basically said that she can cope with the pressure by knocking Charlotte Flair out. And then Charlotte came as a surprise and interrupted. Um, and she was met with chance of you don't go here and go back to Raw chance as well. And she said that and Charlotte said that she was going to take Rhea to deep waters and drown the fastest rising star. And then they started fighting and tussling with each other. And Charlotte kicked Rhea and tried to lock her into the figure eight, but then locks it around. But then she wound up locking it around the ring ring post in high heels. Fabulous. And the referees basically broke them up and sent her away as she held up the title and stepped on Rhea. And then she tells the fans to kiss her butt. But then the fans kept chanting, you don't go here, you know, at her. Which makes me feel like Bianca Belair will always be over. But yeah... I don't want to go into Bianca Belair because if I talk about it, I'll get upset. So that's, and then we had another match with Tegan Knox and Deanna versus Deanna Perrazzo for the qualifier for the ladder match. Um, Deanna Perrazzo was, a, had, a, had began attacking the injured arm of Tegan Knox from, um, that she sustained from her cage match with Dakota Kai last week. And then Deanna Perrazzo locked in an arm bar, but then, t- but then Tegan Knox hit the shiniest wizard on onto Deanna to win to, to win the match. So like I said earlier, Tegan is now in the match with Miriam and Chelsea Green. So now we have a few more qualifiers to do um, to get more in the match. And that's all that's going on with the women in NXT. So NXT started with um, the match between Keith Lee and Cameron Grimes for the NXT North American Championship. Of course, during the entrance, um, Cameron Grimes was doing his was doing this amazing thing called the most by antagonizing Keith and running away and falling and tripping on himself. And Cameron Grimes tried to target Keith Lee's legs and he kept moving like, okay, for anybody who ever played video games, he kept moving with his, Cameron Grimes kept moving with his feet like Eddie Gordo from the Tekken video game series. And I know that that's an actual fighting style that I haven't had a chance to really like look up the name of or whatever, but I thought it was really interesting how he was moving back and forth like that. Um, but Keith Lee was too powerful. He kept pushing CJ out of the ring. But um, Cameron Grimes 
was at a really slow pace during the match, during the beginning of the match, and it kept irritating me. And I kept feeling like Cameron Grimes just needs to, needs to do a little bit more polishing before, you know, he goes into another high-profile match like this. But he wound up doing a whole lot better towards the middle in the end. He kept stomping on Keith Lee's head. Um, he hit him with two super kicks and a completed German suplex for a near fall um, because he had kept trying to do a suplex on him, but Keith Lee, you know, was kind of too big for that. But he finally um, got it on him, but then it was a near fall. Then Cameron Grimes in another super kick, but then Keith Lee shook it off and tackled him and gave him a spirit bomb to retain his North American title. So Keith Lee was celebrating, but then Damian Priest came out and attacked him with a nightstick and then ran away after Dominic Dijakovic ran after him to try um, to try to defend Keith Lee. But then just as Keith Lee, but then just as Dominic was trying to help Keith Lee up, Keith gave him a spirit bomb and left. So it might be a triple threat. We'll see. Um... Then we had Tommaso Ciampa arriving to the Performance Center. And then we had another match between Kushida and Raul, Men- and Raul Mendoza. And they had very similar styles, high-flying, grappling, Japanese, and Mexican styles that was on display. Um, Kushida, there was this really cool point where Kushida hit an armbar flip. And then Mendoza, well, he hit a flip into an armbar. And then Mendoza tapped out and Kushida won that match. And then there was a promo with Tyler Breeze, who we hadn't seen in a minute. Um, and he was in an interview talking about how the performance center built them, basically helped build him as a star because they were talking about how it felt to return to the performance center and have a show there for the first time ever. And Austin Theory interrupted the interview by saying he was a fan of um, Tyler Breeze in high school, but he also dissed him in that aspect as well. But then Tyler Breeze took a picture of him and called Theory a flash in the pan and walked away. So I guess Tyler Breeze and Austin Theory are going to get into it. And that's going to be interesting. Then they had a Walter and Walter and Finn Balor segment. So they're setting up that NXT UK feud right there. And then you had the Undisputed Era come out and try to cut a promo. And then the Velveteen Dream interrupted it and, it. and he admitted to using Roderick Strong as a pawn to get the attention of Adam Cole. And Adam Cole said that Velveteen Dream didn't deserve anything and didn't deserve to come in his championship. And Adam Cole said he he was becoming the longest reigning NXT champ next week and he was going to throw a party to that effect. And he tries to challenge Velveteen Dream, but then Velveteen Dream snapped his fingers and said that you'll fight when I'm ready for you to fight me. And then the Broserweights came out. Because Kyle O'Reilly and Bobby Fish had a match with the Broseways for the NXT Tag Team Championships. And that match was pretty standard stuff for, you know, NXT Tag Matches. And then, of course, the Broseways retained. And I believe um, the Grizzle Young Veterans came out and beat up and beat up on everyone in that match. So, they're setting up that feud. And then, near the end of the show, you had Tommaso Ciampa talking at Johnny Gargano. And... He kept saying my time and my way, but then Johnny was talking and then Tommaso Ciampa was just, he was past the mood to talk and he left the ring and then they started brawling in the conference room and then into the workout gym and then back into the crowd and onto the announcement perch until finally Tommaso Ciampa slammed Johnny through the announcement desk and they kept fighting each other back and forth and they showed this in, in an exclusive video on www.com they kept fighting and screaming at each other and Tommaso was like this is my ring and this is my house and all this other stuff so they can fight forever and I won't get bored and that's the end of the NXT segment and now we're gonna go into Smackdown
right. So now we're going to talk about this incredibly unique episode of SmackDown from this past Friday, which was emanating from the WWE Performance Center for the first time ever with no audience members due to everything that's been going on. So, um, Michael Cole and Triple H were commentating. Um, Some of the talent couldn't make it to the show due to travel issues. So, Michael Cole and Triple H actually wound up becoming one of the best parts of the night because they were being so silly and they were shooting off of each other and it was really funny so they were kind of shorthanded but Triple H kind of leaned into that and it was just really funny so we're going to talk about the women first Sasha Banks and Bailey came out and they were talking all kinds of trash about where Paige was because it was advertised that Paige was going to come out and confront Bailey about a new opponent but Paige couldn't make it due to travel issues so they had to wrestle in this match and then um Sasha Banks was talking about how she was the standard and how Bailey was the standard and all the other stuff but then they were set to fight in a tag team match versus with Nikki Cross and Alexa Bliss so I wanted Triple H to be on commentary forever and he kept making references to like all the great commentators of the past including his own father-in-law and it was really funny but then the match was pretty was pretty good for the most part but um Asuka interfered um with Alexa and and basically distracted Alexa and Nikki and Sasha and Bailey took advantage of it which gave them the victory in the match so when I, the reason why Oscar was out there is because she was antagonizing Alexa Bliss and Nikki because Alexa challenged the Kabuki Warriors to a women's tag team title match because of the fact that when you have the women's tag team title match, you can fight on whatever show you want to versus whatever opponent you want to. But somehow or another, the Kabuki Warriors have not been fighting to defend their tag titles and have not done it in months. So I'm really glad that they're actually, you know, continuing with that storyline. So there's that part. Now, we still don't know who Bailey is set to face um, at WrestleMania, you know, if it, you know, does indeed take place. So we're, that's still kind of up in the air, but we'll see. And I believe that's all that we have for the women. Um, yeah, that's all we really have for the women um, on SmackDown. So we're going to go into the men. Roman Reigns had an interview with Michael Cole, and he said it was cool to be back into back in the Performance Center because he was also an NXT alum. But it was weird with no live reactions, but he was basically rolling with the punches like everybody else was doing. And he basically stated that he was dealing with critics who don't believe that he belongs in a main event of WrestleMania. And he was talking about how he believes he's the hardest worker, you know, day in and day out. And then Michael Cole mentioned how basically they're labeling the matches Spear versus Spear, which is true. And Roman was talking about how he felt like Goldberg was a part timer who um, who really didn't who really doesn't necessarily deserve the um, universal title as it as it is right now. And he's and he and Roman Reigns was basically saying that he had been groomed and Matt and having mastered the art and craft of wrestling because he's there every single week learning and figuring out how to get better in, in everything that he's done. And he was also making mention of the fact that he was just blessed to be able to participate in it because for a while he didn't think he was going to be able to wrestle due to his leukemia diagnosis. Um, but now that he's back in remission, he's going to bounce back and win his U.S. title that he, not the U.S. title, win his universal title that he never lost. So there was that. And then there was an interview that Kayla had with Jeff Hardy. Now, Jeff Hardy did make his return on Backstage last week, 
and he talked about how he was hungry and healthy and um, ready to do a lot more in the WWE um, because he had been dealing with injuries and also dealing with his struggles with alcoholism and substance abuse and I pray that he's gotten the help that he needs and I'm glad to see him back even though it's weird because his brother just left but you know whatever um he was interrupted by king corbin who called my brother in my head a peasant and basically did all kinds of alcoholic and dui jokes at him like can you you know walk in a straight line or you know can you say your abcs you know and all this other stuff until jeff interrupted him and says that he has a match with him and Elias tried to sing Baron Corbin a song, but then Corbin was walking away, and then Elias was saying he had no idea what was coming. And then there was a recap of the Daniel Bryan and Drew Gulak um, match, but then there was also a promo where Daniel Bryan gave Drew Gulak his props, and he wants to be taught by him to see, you know, you know, can we, you know, work together and stuff. But then Sami Zayn interrupted because he's feeling himself from having won the IC title. And he dissed him for saying no to their um, to his collective with Shinsuke and Cesaro. And he called Daniel Bryan a shell of the man he used to be. But then Daniel Bryan challenged Cesaro to a match because Cesaro called himself defending Sami Zayn's honor. So that happened later on. And then they had a full replay of the tag team match of the SmackDown Tag Team Championship match from Elimination Chamber. So I won't go into that again. Um, but after that recap, The Miz and John Morrison were sitting in the ring and they were talking about how they fought, um, how when they won their championships, how the first time they won tag team championships was their first time tagging together. And they were doing insults and everything to the tag team division and to the audience on the television. Um, so that was interesting. And then Triple H was being a cameraman at a certain point, basically alluding to the fact that they were short staffed, but um, he was making it really funny. And then he and then it was reported that Rob Gronkowski was in deep talks to be a wrestling superstar. And then Mojo Rawley confirmed it and basically said that the Gronk will be on SmackDown next week. And then um, Mojo Rawley hype tussled um, Michael Cole and Triple H started joining in with them. And it was really funny. And then we had the match um, between Daniel Bryan, who had Drew Gulak, you know, in his corner against Cesaro with Shinsuke and Sami Zayn in in his corner. And it was a physical um, start to the match. And Cesaro was hitting his um, patented European uppercuts, which are so fire and so dangerous looking. Then there were lots of major kicks and it was three near falls until Daniel Bryan basically won the match but then Shinsuke um was beating him up and then Drew and then Drew Gulak fought for his honor and then there was a brawl that ensued outside of the ring and they all just kept fighting and tussling with each other until you know it ended and then we had the match between Jeff Hardy and Baron Corbin and Elias was on commentary as a guest so Corbin was beating up Jeff in the early going of the match and he tossed him into a ring, into the ring corner. And then Jeff was punching back. And he had a clothesline and a basement dropkick with a near fall. And Corbin yelled at um, Elias. And then Elias was playing a song and distracting Corbin. But then Jeff hit the twist of fate on him and does a swanton bomb to win the match. But Michael Cole did a thing that I thought was really interesting. He called the twist of fate the twist of fury. And I think they changed that because of because Matt Hardy might be going to another company, might maybe AEW, and they just changed it just for the sake of doing it, even though Matt Hardy said on Twitter that they have that WWE has the full rights to use Twist of Fate, but I guess they just changed it just to change it. I don't know. 
but twisted fury just doesn't sound right it's always been twisted fate it's been twisted fate since i was a child so i want to keep it that way but anyway after that triple h did a promo from the top of the um from the announcement perch and said that he was miss he was of course missing the wwe universe but he was happy that we were all watching and said that we're all here and they appreciate the fact that he appreciated the fact that the performers were still giving their all and that the wwe has earned the right to be um to live up to their logo which is then now and forever which was very touching and then john cena came out um to do an interview with michael cole and he said and John Cena was basically saying how do I respond to someone who blames their failures on me he was referring to Bray Wyatt and how Bray Wyatt said that he blames John Cena for his fall from grace because they had fought each other at WrestleMania 30 a couple of years ago and John Cena won that match and basically buried him and or at least they say he buried him um according to the internet wrestling community but um John Cena said many people have blamed him, have blamed John Cena, many, John Cena said a lot of people have blamed him for their failures, um, but he said that Bray Wyatt fell into a spiral because he got complacent, and he mentioned how many times John Cena, John Cena mentioned how many times he had lost to really high profile people, but yet he still bounced back every time. He mentioned CM Punk on television, and he also mentioned The Miz, how he lost to The Miz at WrestleMania, which I had the privilege of being there for. He mentioned his loss to The Rock and his loss to Brock Lesnar, but in the end, he said that he blames himself for those losses and not, um, and not anyone else. And John Cena, and then Michael Cole asked John Cena why would he antagonize Bray Wyatt and he said that he feels like Bray Wyatt is not the future of the company but he mentioned stars on the main roster like Drew McIntyre and stars in NXT like Adam Cole and Velveteen Dream who are the future of this business and he wants to take Bray Wyatt out of the equation because he feels that he's the most overhyped and overrated star in years and then Bray Wyatt came out in the place where the audience would be sitting and he said that John Cena craves the spotlight and you took something from me. And he thought about it so much that he wanted to smash his head to get peace from the voices in his head. But then he started listening to them and he created the Firefly Funhouse from it. And he said, you broke me, John, but the fiend put me back together. And he said, you can expect a slaughter at WrestleMania. And then the show ended. And like I said earlier... I really like this because I was able to focus on everything that everybody was saying in terms of the performances and you can tell that the performers were indeed giving their all regardless of the fact that there was no live audience. And even though they mentioned that it was awkward at first, they still kept rolling with the punches. And sometimes in life, you can either roll with the punches or let the punches roll you. So I'm really glad that they were able to deal with this difficult time and move forward Um with being who they were created to be which was wrestlers so that's the end of this main event segment and now we're going to go on to the conclusion all right well thank you if you've stayed and listened to the show um and if you've listened to any of my other episodes thank you for listening um to those I really appreciate all the good feedback that I've been getting how people have been you know 
enjoying my episodes and enjoying you know how relaxing it is and learning um new things and everything so um I want to say and speak to all the stuff that's been going on with the virus even though it has been impacting wrestling it's also been impacting other sports and other people and everything so I just want to say in this conclusion that I want you guys to stay safe I want you to um take off if you need to take off if you're not feeling well please you know go see a doctor and if you can um and even if you're not sick I would just say to just please stay safe and be smart about it you know wash your hands use your hand sanitizer um but also don't let this virus hold you back and let you live in fear either um so If there's anything that you enjoy doing, you know, to sort of take this time to really refocus yourself and everything, please do that. Keep yourself mentally healthy. Keep yourself spiritually healthy if you if that is the thing that you subscribe to. Um, Enjoy your time with your family and your friends and, you know, just do what you can to survive this epidemic and to support those who can't support themselves in this, you know. And to just, you know, feed into your community as much as you possibly can during this difficult time. Um, So, like I said, thank you for listening to this podcast. Thank you for listening to Hardy Wrestling. Remember, you can listen to Hardy Wrestling on Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, um, Stitcher, and Google Podcasts, and a lot of other places. Um, So... Um, I'll be posting the links on my Facebook. So if you want to follow me and to see anything else that I'm interested in or anything else that I'm doing, you can follow me on Twitter at Queen Steph Hardy. You can also follow me on Instagram at Queen Steph Hardy. And you can also follow the podcast page at Hardy Wrestling Podcast. That's H-A-R-D-Y Wrestling Podcast. And you can also follow me on Facebook at Stephanie LaShawn Hardy, my full government name. And, you know, just give me a ring or just message me or whatever if you want if you want me to talk about a specific thing with wrestling or if you have any questions that you want me to put on the show, feel free to do that. And with that in mind, I wish you nothing but love, peace, blessings and miracles. And I just hope that you're keeping yourself safe during this difficult time. All right. Thank you. Bye.